Hello, listening people. Yeah, hey there. You're listening. <laughs> hey, hi, how are you? Yeah, yeah, I'm right. Ryan Slewinski of Spit and Polish Presents on Appreciate Masterpieces. Hello, Bartek boy. Thank you. I mean, hi. Spit and Polish Presents on Appreciate Masterpieces. You are Spit and Polish, and I am Spit and Polish, likingly, because we are always spitting, and we both happen to be Polish. That does, that does, that fits. That rings true. I didn't even have to ask you if that is correct, Bartek, because I know it is. I just wanted your reassurance, and you gave it straight away. <coughs> uh, don't don't choke to death, okay, buddy? No, it was me spitting. Oh, uh, okay. Don't, don't ch- choke on your spit. You can, you know, but don't, mm. because we are doing our show, the podcast, Unappreciated Masterpieces, in which we do a feature-length audio commentary tracks for films that seemingly don't deserve a commentary track, but we say no, they do, because these are pieces of art. It's simple as that. We we delve into movies that don't have enough love and appreciation, the films that we think deserve more attention and more discussion. Bartek, what is the film we'll be covering in this episode. The film that we are covering in this episode, just like many others we've done, has, you know, no-name actors and crew members. (laughs) They just need more love. The film that we are doing in this episode is... Okruczenstwo's Nie do Przyjęcia. Sounds like a lot of words in that one. An entire four. Wow, four. (laughs) Okay. Um... You spoke Polish then, mm-hmm. which is embarrassing because I don't speak the language. Yeah, I spat and spoke Polish this you did, episode. You already. did both, but I did neither. And that means that we are the perfect duo. Mm-hmm. Well, yeah, one of us does both and the other does the nothing. Yeah. makes it a duo. <laughs> yeah, the other the other's, <laughs> and the other's there. Um, to clarify for the audience who are not doing it either. Um, we but, don't know that. But, uh, well, uh, okay, you got me there, but we don't not not know that, so there you go. Check and mate. Bartek, what does that translate into English? Oh. Wait, oh, that's... Yeah, you don't speak Polish. And that's right. I, I need just explained trans- the duo. I need a yeah, translation yeah. of the movie. Well, Ryan, clearly it means cruelty unacceptable. Oh, cruelty unacceptable. Is this, like, the sequel to Cruel Intentions? The, the the erotic thriller that we've already done on the show? You know, that was also unacceptable cruelty. Uh, I'll have to give you that. Yeah. <laughs> Tick. <laughs> got you there. So we're doing Cruel Intentions 2, which um, I can't believe was we that, finally got to do it. Was that feature, uh, feature release? Uh, nope. <laughs> I can't even remember who's in it. But I know <laughs> in American Psycho 2, it's Mila Kunis. Um, but we're not doing either of those movies. What we're actually doing is... We are doing the film Intolerable Cruelty. Intolerable Cruelty, a title that just rolls off the tongue nice and easy there. And, um, what year did this one come out again? 2000 and an odd number, I think. Was it one or three? Three. Three. 2003. It's always good to double check these things, Bartek. Because we are doing the film Intolerable Cruelty. The one starring George Clooney, Catherine Zeta-Jones, Cedric the Entertainer, Jeffrey Rush, Billy Bob Thornton, and a weird cameo by Bruce Campbell. (laughs) I know what you're all thinking, listening people. Who are these people? We will tell you in this episode. So what you guys have to do at home is have a copy of the film Intolerable Cruelty. You have to have it all set up. I have my DVD copy in the computer. And we're gonna do I'm gonna do a countdown 
from the number three mm-hmm. all the way down and I'm going to say play and you're going to press play at the same time and hopefully we're going to be lined up as we talk about the majesty that is the film Intolerable Cruelty. So get ready because we're going to start this in three, two, one, play. So we are two seconds in, three seconds, four seconds, five Six and we are still on the universal logo for those paying attention at home. Bartek, how come how come the Americas aren't being lit up like the other continents? Screw them. That's why. Yeah, fair enough. They didn't give us this film. Yeah, exactly. Um, it was China. <laughs> they gave us this film a distribution, probably. Oh, so is this like a Cruel Intentions knockoff? You mean Intolerable Cruelty knockoff? No, but like the film itself is a knockoff. Of? The real film of Cruel Intentions, because it has the word cruel in it. Oh, right, right, right. I thought you just... I, I, I thought when I didn't make doing a, this yeah, episode, yeah. we're going to slip up on that, because they are two titles with the word cruel no, in no. there. I was implying that this film overall is a knockoff. Um, usually I'm going to ask our history with this movie, but first I do have to comment on this is one of the best prologues ever filmed ever in a movie it gives you everything. It is such a great piece of storytelling because you have Jeffrey Rush singing the Simon Garfunkel song and here he is singing I'm Just a Poor Boy driving his jag through one of the most famous Hollywood streets with all the mansions that you see in movies yep. with his with his ponytail and his suit and you know exactly what kind of asshole he is before he even needs to get out of the car. This is one of my favourite opening sequences to any movie ever. I love this sequence. I love everything about it. The camera work, the the amount of pauses there are between dialogue and the the facial expressions, the 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 the, the, the actual setup of everything with the the Ollie will fix it. Ollie will fix it. Not is it not will it's not Ollie will fix it. It's Ollie will fix it. It's just great with it hanging on the doorknob and it's just like so many great elements. You hear the sound design of like them hearing him coming into the house and scuffling away because the whole setup for those who are not in the know is Jeffrey Rush is coming home to find out that his wife is cheating on him with the pool cleaner guy, the pool maintenance man, I should say, Mm -hmm. who's someone that she knows. And he knows too, because he has one of my favorite lines of dialogue in this whole movie, which is just like, he finds out it's Ollie and he's like, oh, you mean that short, cretinous wanker? (laughs) 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 It's great because this is Jeffrey Rush as well. And he's playing an Australian as well. He's not doing an American accent. They comment on him being an Australian, him just using Australian insults in the correct manner. Mm -hmm. Because we see that a lot in movies where we have Australian characters, you know, whether they're played by Americans or Australian actors, but when they use insults, they're never... A lot of time, they're just not right. We we sit there, and it's just like... Mm, I mean, it works, but it's not how you'd use that insult. Yeah. Or how you'd use that inflection on that word. But Jeffrey Rush, he knows. He nails it. I like to point out that Ryan was so passionate in his speech that I couldn't even fit in a part of me going, yeah, I agree. You, yeah, I fucking <laughs> love this opening sequence. I just, you know, I've got to allow breathing room for everything else. But this sequence is so great. I love just everything about it. Just look at Jeffrey Rush dominating the screen here. He's just so self-assured that he's got the upper hand in the situation. And I just love all these lines of dialogue that he has. Like, just 
oh, you know, he's, oh, I'm so glad. The way he delivers, like, the line is like, I'm so glad he found himself a job. I always took him for some kind of, what is this, like, some kind of loser or something like that. And then you get to see Ollie and look at him. He's exactly what you think he's going to be. <laughs> To be fair, I, I wasn't expecting him to be dressed. But, yeah, that's true. <laughs> I, but I love this. He's there to allegedly sell them, like, pool stuff, but then Jeff Rush goes on the whole monologue of, well, we'll take this and take this. It's like, wait a moment, darling, do we even have a pool? <laughs> this yeah. is, like, fucking great. One of the downsides of this movie is the fact that Jeffrey Rush isn't in it more. He's third bill that is in three scenes, all of which are great, might I add. Yeah. This being the best, because it's the longest he's in it for. And it's one of these ones where I go, hey, how come he hasn't worked with the Coen brothers again? Or more? I think this is the only time he's worked with them. And it's such a bummer, because look at look at him. He's having so much fun. Guess but, they didn't want to send a letter down to Camberwell. Yeah. <laughs> this is our second Jeffrey Rush appearance on the show. I'm aware of one other one, yeah. Gods of Egypt, yeah. yeah. Where he plays, obviously, everyone, you know, you guess what's Australian acting going to play. Egyptian god Ra. <laughs> oh, I love that she stabs him with his own Lifetime Achievement Award. It's so great. Mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> One of my favourite gags in this, because this is a comedy through and through. A romantic comedy. A screwball comedy, if anything. Mm. Um, I do love that the little touch of he grabs the camera and he's taking photos of the wounds and whatever. But I love Jeff uh, George Clooney later on who's defending the wife, because whole setup is George Clooney is the divorce attorney. Um, George Clooney's looking through the photos, and he looks impressed. Like, like he just the way he looks yeah. at them and moves the photos, you could tell that Jeffrey, like, in his interpretation, acting-wise, he's acting like Jeffrey Rush took really good photos. Yeah, like touche and all that. And then... And then I, I think he even comments. He comments yeah. on it big, like... He, was weird. he took some... He, like... Really good initiative on those photos there. <laughs> I do love the random like person next door that's just sweeping up the garden stuff, just looking at him. It's like, what are you looking at? Yeah. <laughs> and this here, this scene, is this is the tone of the movie. You have this insane music playing, Jeffrey Rush laughing maniacally. Madcap comedy with uh, with the real bite to it, and that's the tone of this movie. I love that prologue. It's one of the best ever made in cinema. I will fight you if you say otherwise. It's great. It's up there with Thunderpants. Everything works <laughs> in this movie, but that is the shining star. Hence, I had to get it all out straight away before it disappeared because... Yep. Oh, man. So, Bartek, let's get into it. What is your history with this movie? Because it seems pretty evident that I have a large history with this. I just basically heard you mention it a bunch of times and it was just and you've done that with many films so it's it's one of those cases where you said we're gonna do this film like oh finally i'm gonna have more context yes because we have been covering a lot of romantic comedies and the question comes up each time uh, what's a romantic comedy that you like or think that really excels in that genre and you usually are like oh i know a ton but then you don't have an answer because you're being put on the spot yet you should know because it's been like week by week and i'm always like oh and total cruelty is always in there for me <laughs> yeah, this was a weird one like i after i finished watching it and i looked it up and i read that like oh it's a romantic comedy i was like well i, I don't even know if i'd say that i would it's a screwed up romantic comedy, but it's a romantic comedy in the same way that we've been discussing previous ones on the show. 
My Super Ex-Girlfriend, Down With Love. Um, what were some others? We just did one. We did one last week, yeah. Failure yeah. to Launch. Failure to Launch. It's a typical... If you break it down to its fundamental elements, this is a normal romantic comedy through and through. It's about a foundation of a relationship built on lies and manipulation, but by the end of it they discover the true being behind those lies and manipulation and fall in love with them, and at the end of the day, they're happy. That's the central core of this movie. Mm. Like with Failure to Launch, and like with Down with Love, and so on and so on. But it's the execution of it. It's done in this Coen Brothers way. Yeah, it feels like this is a case where I'm like, if it's a romantic comedy, it's like technically one. I don't know. I, I really do feel the, the, the chemistry of the two characters. Oh, they definitely have chemistry. Of George Clooney. And I genuinely believe in their love for one another, although it is a screwed up love because we are watching two power-hungry narcissists who, at one point, one of them is described as a carnivore. Mm. <laughs> and that's great because we meet George Clooney via his teeth. Yeah, George <laughs> I, Toothy. I've never seen a movie hide a character except for their teeth like this. Yeah. You usually see eyes or maybe a mouth and, and shadow, and, but it's like teeth. And, and like in this shot here, like they they have the light re- like reflecting off the glass, so you don't see him. But then you do notice they are shading the top half of his head. Anyway. Exactly, and I just love. Usually in a movie uh, like this, you get this glory shot that you're about to get now where the camera focuses, kind of swoons on him. Like, you know, you usually get that for like... Uh, oh, this is the fi- This is the first close-up of his face. Exactly. Yeah. And it's also kind of like a, similar to the male gaze shot where the camera moves from below to a higher shot. Like you're getting a scroll up of yeah. them as a whole. You get that with him, which is kind of fun. Yeah, you get to meet his teeth. First, and I love that throughout the movie he's obsessed with those teeth. Like I don't know if yeah, you noticed. I, no, he kept, I definitely like, noticed. Every now and then his tongue would go over his teeth, and he's. I love that. There's a bit where he just like in the mirror, he like pushes his finger on his teeth. You hear that noise that yeah, it yeah, makes when you do that. It's so yeah, good. He was showing off his teeth throughout this whole film, and they're great. Yeah. So you have just heard me gushing about it for the last who knows how many years. I've kind of brought it up in conversation randomly, but I never really brought up what it was about to you. I always no, just said didn't. it's a romantic comedy, and maybe I said who was in it and who it was by, but nothing more. And none of that really stuck with me until I started watching it, yeah. So just to break it down, this is a romantic... Well, it's a screwball comedy if you really want to get down to it because it's got a lot of different plot threads, a lot of... Mm. Like, there's there's attempted murder in here. Uh, <laughs> there's lots of death. There is death in here. Yeah. Um, you know, there's there's intrigue, there's mystery, there's, there's, there's you know, lies upon lies and, and slapstick, a lot mm. of slapstick. And to compare it to even uh, Cruel Intentions, we're basically following slimy people throughout the whole thing yeah yeah and it's very similar i think to um down with love Mm. in terms of like you know you know what it is by its tone but this is obviously toned down this isn't like a bright 60s bubblegum pop kind of going to nearly burst out into a musical kind of thing yeah this is a movie about miles massey a divorce attorney who's hit his midlife crisis he's achieved everything he needs to achieve money is pointless to him as is winning everything is nothing to him at this point he has no challenge in life he's got no no vigor nothing is interesting to him anymore because he's the top dog he wins all the time 
But then he meets Catherine Zeta-Jones, who's his match. She's equally as cunning as he is, but she's on the opposite side. Yeah, She's not a fellow lawyer. She's not this or this. She is a woman who marries men, tries to marry men, gets them to be compromised so that she can divorce them and take all their money. Yep. But George catches her. This is like Catch Me If You Can. <laughs> George Clooney's Tom Hanks. And she's Leonardo DiCaprio. Yep. But... That's the dynamic, and it's about them screwing each other over but falling in love at the same time. That's the story. That's the setup. There's obviously lots of different intrigue along the way. I just want to point out, love this scene too, because it's one of the greatest scene examples of a story that's going on in the background that we don't get to hear a lot about, about this weird sex pervert torturing his wife for like 30 years or so by dismantling their vacuum cleaner and turning it into some weird device called the intruder mm-hmm. and i just love how george ends the scene by being like well really if you if you know this guy this tennis pro he's just like she's like yeah it's like his name's david such says and why do you write to him david and goliath <laughs> and that's the end of the scene because you know he wins but the setup yeah that's the, the movie is just a very simple cat and mouse game but of love as well as money and power Mm. these are two equally matched people who both have the same problem she's equally bored in life but she's never got to be able to achieve what george has which is success and independence yeah that's kind of thing so bartek you've been you know you didn't really know what you're getting into when you watched it what, did you have any thoughts? I, I, was it, did I mislead you when I said romantic comedy, I guess? I didn't even remember you saying that. Okay. So you didn't have any kind of expectations when you walked into this? No thoughts of what you're going to be watching? Well, apart from the obvious like connection with the title sounding a little bit like Cruel Intentions, I wasn't going to fall for the trap and say, oh, the title's similar, so they're obviously similar films. Yeah. But watching it, I did get that whole connection between, like, oh, you know, these are slimy people, there's some kind of sexual tension going on mm. kind of thing. Um, and I I was definitely intrigued in this film, and throughout the film, there were parts where I was caught off guard about things, things that I wasn't expecting, and when the film ends, I'm even sitting there with questions in my head, like, is this actually a happy ending? Is, yeah. Does something happen after the credits roll? Not literally, like we see it, but like yeah. in the future of these characters, like, are, is there actually still more going on? Because throughout the film, it's just a whole cavalcade of people backstabbing each other, basically. Yeah, and it is. Again, we've covered a lot of romantic comedies at recent, but this is one of these ones of it makes this one specifically. I think really does question the romantic comedy format in terms of. These are people who have built a foundation of 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 toxic... It's a toxic foundation that they've built for their relationship of lies and backstabbing and manipulation. Mm. And I think this is the one that questions out of the ones we've covered the most of, is this a happy thing to end up with watching these two people who are despicable? There's a bit in which George Clooney's on the phone and he's trying to um, get this... Like, one of his clients obviously has a kid, and he's trying to convince them to cut the kid's disability school fund, like, get him out of his disability school. Does he really need it? That's the kind of character we have here. But you like him? At least I do, because he's George Clooney. How can you not? It's one of those, like, you love to hate kind of things. Yeah, but, um, yeah, it's, should we be happy at the end of this? 
it leaves you with that lingering kind of question. It's not too heavy. It's not like this is a, you know, a really dark philosophical understanding deconstruction of the romantic comedy genre. This mm. is just a de- I think it is a level of a satire and a deconstruction yeah. of the genre. I, I like the fact that um, ever since we did uh, the guilt trip and Liam brought up the whole every American film has like the acceptance part where everyone claps. Yeah. I like the fact that it happens before <laughs> some shocking plot twists and it keeps <laughs> yeah. going on and bad things keep happening. <laughs> yeah. One of the best characters ever introduced into cinema, Gus Petch, who's just got <laughs> the greatest line ever. One of my favorite jokes is from him. It is about to come up. I love, because this is directed by the Coen brothers, and people don't often um, note that how funny the Coen brothers are. People mm. know The Big Lebowski as their funny movie, but all of their movies are really funny. But this here, I love the visual jokey of, like, it zooms out from the real footage to the TV to her reacting, and then he, like, you hear him on the TV and the recording going, I'm going to nail your ass! I'm going to nail your ass! And then he pauses it and he just solemnly says, yep, I nailed his ass. I do like that that was, like, a recurring thing with him. <laughs> and then it recurs with every character after the, because they all interact with him. Yeah. She says it, George says it. He has a speech. It's spe- infectious, yeah. He has a speech, George, later, where it's going to be like, Nailing your spouse's assets. And it's just like... (laughs) And you know what the most ironic thing is? What? The closest that this film has come to a literal nailing of the ass is Jeffrey Rush, who doesn't really meet him. No, 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 because he does at the end. Does he? Jeffrey Rush is at the end of the movie. Spoiler alert, at the end of the movie, it's revealed Gus Petch gets his own show called... Uh, like, oh, that's right. And yeah, the producer yeah. of that show is Jeffrey Rush because he gets a happy ending too. Ah, so, right. but, 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 but well, he didn't know him in the prologue, though. No, yeah. but Gus Petch meets pretty much all the main players of the story. He's he's the center point of like you know the degrees of separation. He's the one that kind of knows everyone. Yeah, he's the Saul Goodman of the story. He's he's the guy who knows a guy who knows a guy. I would watch a movie of him. Fuck, I love that you get a seat. <laughs> I love the fact that you get a seed of him. At home, watching the tapes oh, yeah, with, with his, his friends. friends. <laughs> because you think that's a comedy thing, but then at the end, it relates to what happens to his character at the end. Because like, oh, this all comes around. So, Bartek, this movie has a ton of characters. This guy being one, Rex, Rex Roth. Mm. I just wanted to quiz you on something. Quiz me, boy. Did you notice how many characters had names that were of alliteration? R and R for Rex, Rex, Roth. Did you notice this? Like, most of the characters in this movie's first names and last names start with the same letters. It's not a thing that I'd go, oh, yeah, but yeah, I I did generally notice it. I love that. He threw his keys at the dog like it would do something. Yeah. (laughs) Fucking idiot. But did you notice this? No, you didn't really... It's something that I probably noticed, but I didn't think much of. Yeah, yeah I, I, I noticed it this time. Like, I grew up with this movie. I've watched this movie, like, I would say, honestly, 50 times. Okay. Uh, yeah, it's one of my high-watched movies. Because this is a quintessential, like, this is a, a, a light, fluffy movie. So it gains itself that rewatchability. You know, it's not like other Coen Brothers movies where, you know, you watch them maybe once a year because they are so stoic and solemn and... Blah, 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 you know, like, this movie I've watched a ton of times. Yeah. And um, I-, I noticed it last night when watching it again. It's been, a, like, two years since I've watched it. And I just was like, Miles Massey, Rex Rexroth, Rex Rexroth, Ollie Oliver. And it just goes on and on and on and on like this. And mm. I just love it. I don't know why it's there, but I just love it. It's just one of these things. Of, I wonder why the Coen brothers did this. But they did. 
Bartek, there are a ton of characters. Were there any standout? Were you not going to quiz me? Oh, that was the quiz. Oh, okay. Did, did you pass? notice this? <laughs> no, you didn't notice it, so no. Well, I did notice it, though. Oh, you did? Partial credit. Okay. <laughs> well, what did I need to do full credit? Just be excited about how great it was, because this is the best <laughs> movie ever made. Um, Coen Brothers, good job on your literacy techniques. Yes, thank you, Coens. Um, was there any characters that were particular standouts for you? I mean, look, Ryan, if I said no and then we see the old Jewish man in this office, then you'd know <laughs> you mean, that I was You mean the, the head of the firm? Yes. Herb? Yeah. With one of the <laughs> scariest images I've ever seen. Did you notice the random tube that he had sticking out of his chest that led to nothing? It's just like a tube that ends... Like, it doesn't can... connect to anything. It's just sticking out of his chest. I probably didn't notice the fact that it didn't connect to anything, but I probably noticed Yeah, you got to watch it, and it's full of green goo. <laughs> it's, why is Herb in this movie? But I love him. <laughs> I almost didn't understand what he was talking about. Like, is he chastising him? Why is he freaking out? And it's like, oh, this he's, like, scared that this might be his future, I guess. Yeah, yeah. and Herb's just a scary motherfucker. <laughs> <laughs> he, he hooks him up with an assassin <laughs> what do you want like herb's great so herb was a standout for you no uh, i was just kidding i don't know like i'm no i'm not he that, was yeah. i found that very interesting because last night because this movie for those unaware this is one of the movies this is one of these great movies where and the coens do this a lot where there's just so many great characters and they may only appear in two scenes but you remember them like how can you not remember the Baron Von Espy. <laughs> like, you know, like, how can you forget that guy? You can't. And how can you even forget, like, the woman who's doing the typing of the courtroom scene with the Baron Von Espy and she's repeating the whole, you want some bones, you want some lovely bones, anyone got some bones? You remember her? She's only in, like, two seconds. But I was surprised because Herb was, like, a character I was like, oh, okay, Bartek. I don't like that. I was surprised because I was thinking about last night. I was like, who's a character that I really... Because I like to do that on this show. Who's a character I think Bartek would really like in this movie, in this particular story? And there were so many... Well, I wasn't saying it was my favourite character. Oh, no, but a standout. Like, one that just kind of jumps to you. Like, like uh, that's what I'm talking about. Like, you just... Well, went... yeah, but he was... God, understand. First time viewing, that was very unexpected. Yeah, yeah, but that's what I mean. Like, he's <laughs> yeah. a, he's a, he's an interesting uh, character. I was thinking that you'd be, like, uh, a Wheezy Joe. Well, yeah, him too. <laughs> I love that actor, too. By the way, the, the girl in this scene is the same reporter from uh, 13 Going on 30... The Which, one, the one, the redhead one who's like left of the frame. Oh, well. choking! Yeah, 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 yeah. The one from Saved by the Bell Ecology is. Oh, good. Yeah. Well, while we're talking about connections, um, Cedric the Entertainer is in this. He was in Man of the House. Mm-hmm. Uh, one of the writers of this that isn't the Cohen Brothers, Matt Matthew Stone, not the Matt Stone from. Yeah, when South I was looking Park. up the trivia, I'm like, oh wow. He um is different writer. He wrote yeah. Man of the House. There you go. And Soul Men. It's all coming together. It's all coming together. Like, it makes sense because Cedric the Entertainer is in Man of the House and he's in this and they were very close to each other. Yeah, Man of the House is like 2005. Yeah, so I find this uh, very interesting, the little connections. And there's, you know, a couple of others. Mm. Certain actors turn up. Richard Jenkins is back. And this is by far one of the funniest exchanges of dialogue ever captured in cinema between him and Richard Jenkins about Kirshner. Mm. You remember that? Uh, Richard Jenkins is the lawyer. Yeah, yeah. Freddie. Yep. Freddie, the lawyer. <laughs> oh, 
Honestly, his interactions with uh, the main characters of the film are pretty great all the way I'd through. watch a Freddy movie. <laughs> <laughs> if it's this... him still interacting with George Clooney, definitely. You remember yeah. him in Witches of Eastwick? He was the suffering husband. Yeah, 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 that's right, yeah. The name was like in my head. It's because the guys kept talking about him. And uh, he was in Shape of Water recently, got Oscar nominated. But he always looks like this. But in... Which is Reeswick, he was like 20 years younger, so he looked completely different. Yeah, that's why when you were like, oh, that's right, yeah. He's back again. It's like we've ne- we've seen Richard Jenkins like pre-evolution and now post. We have to see the during part. We have to see the middle part, yeah. I love this exchange dialogue. I often quote it, like the whole thing of like, okay, my client this is like, have you thought about Kirshner? It's like, no, Kirshner's off the table. Kirshner's off the table? It's like, Kirshner was from Kentucky. Kirshner was from Kentucky? Yes, he was from Kentucky. It's yeah, like, now I remember. Well, it doesn't apply here. Okay, let's just ignore Kirshner. Then Richard Jenkins says something. He's like, he spits out his ward. It's like, what are you, forgetting about Kirshner? And he just closes <laughs> his briefcase and leaves. I love that. It's just such a dick move. I'll admit, when you first brought it up, I was like, what is that? But then I remember it completely. Yeah, that was great. And the Coen brothers are great at editing. They know how to make it feel quick paced but if you actually look at the shots they are long shots but they feel quick in the cuts yeah so Bartek this movie is about a bunch of slippery maniacal people falling in love um we've watched so many of these movies now um you know do you do you for those who haven't listened to the previous episodes, do you like rom-coms? And do you like these kind of rom-coms where it is about people that you love to hate? Yes, I do. And like I said, with this one, I, I had a hard time accepting that it was a rom-com just because it was done so differently to all the other ones that I was used to. And look, even without going into the specifics of this, different is good. Yes, it is. I think it's very good. Yes, it is. Or up to this scene already. Uh, yeah, man. For some reason, I thought it was later. Dude, this film has such a breakneck pace. Mm. I think it only drags a little when he gets to Las Vegas. I think there's maybe one or two things that could have been like trimmed a little to slow, like quicken up the pace. But other than that, this movie's got like the quickest, mm. like quickest pace in the world. Like this is a there, hour there and forty a, minutes. Yeah, hundred minutes. There is a period of this film where Cedric doesn't appear for a very long time, right? Yeah, because they kind of leave him behind. Time jumps as well, yeah. and uh, but he does come back and again and again. Yeah, like in a few seconds, we're going to see him like sneaking into the house and stuff. But then there's going to be a long period where we don't see him until near the end. Yeah, um, that is enough, that yeah. is true because you know he doesn't play the. He kind of is like, I'm done now. Leave me alone. <laughs> Yeah, there's nothing for him to do. <laughs> no. So, Catherine Zeta-Jones is back. Mm-hmm. From last, Laser Fun Times, yeah. We last time had her for... Um, Entrapment. Entrapment. Yeah. What was it like seeing her in, in this movie? Have you seen her in many movies? I feel like I've seen her in a lot of clips from films. I don't know if I've seen them in full, but she's definitely one that I recognise. Okay. So, you're not necessarily as knowledgeable in the Catherine Zeta-Jones Not like you, my friend. <laughs> <laughs> not like me. <laughs> well, you say it so cheekily. Because you, you're always about, like, oh, she's so pretty and stuff like yeah, that. Yeah, but to be honest, I've only seen a handful of her movies, but she was in big iconic movies, like Entrapment was a big movie at the time. And yeah. But forgotten, but the Zorro movies. Uh, this movie obviously is the one, the one. But yeah, she is pretty. She's 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 hot. She's hot stuff. 
I like her, but uh, I was curious to know what did you think about her in this because it's similar but very different to her role in Entrapment. In Entrapment, mm. she's the main character for a start, but she's a innocent. She's innocent esque, but also very naughty. But yeah. in, but in this movie, she's pretty evil. <laughs> yeah, she's definitely like a femme fatale character for our hero here. Yeah, hero in quotes. So, what did you think about seeing another side of the Zeta Jones? It has been a while since I've seen Entrapment, so I couldn't quite remember what her deal was aside from all the espionage spy stuff. Mm. But I did like seeing her in this role. I thought that she did it very well. Her chemistry with uh, George Clooney was great. And I thought that her conflict, the fact that she wasn't 100% in this slimy that's i'm not really expressing it deception well, but she she has doubts about herself mm. and they do get explored even if she does slimy stuff after she expresses her doubts yeah yeah i i i agree i think it's actually very interesting that in 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 this particular movie they actually delve into her kind of psychology of deception while in failure to launch it was kind of an afterthought. Mm. She kind of felt bad about it once things kind of started to crumble. But we see in this movie that there's so many examples of what she wants in the end as the ultimate goal is an unhappy life. Because what she wants is wealth and fame and yeah. independence, all yeah. these kind of things. But she would be unhappy. Because you, we can tell this because George Clooney is unhappy. And he's reached that independence and mm. financial worth and that's how they connect when she when she appears to be at the same level as he uh it's the same with her friend who lives in a mansion with 46 rooms all of them just for herself yeah i was gonna say i love the fact that we do get pieces of what is up with her it's not like a twist all at the end of like oh i have this friend and when i see her it's like a whole monologue explaining her backstory she we do see her talk to her friend who's clearly unhappy and paranoid and things like that. Mm. And it almost lends credibility to when she says, oh, my friend died. And mm. even though there is a lot of like sneaky backstabbing in this film. And that's a lie. Yeah, it actually caught me off guard because I made a lot of assumptions yeah. based on the fact that we did see those scenes rather than just hear about them. Mm. And also assumptions about, I guess I just had assumptions that through the legal process of getting married, it was a confirmed fact that she was rich. Yeah. Which, that was silly on me. Yeah, exactly. Um, but it was intended silliness on me. I think it's very interesting of what, what in you know, every movie like this, or a lot of movies have their um, standpoint on what happiness is. Yeah. And I found it very interesting in this movie, at least this is how I had it, I felt like happiness for a lot of people in this movie that were actually happy were... Well, to be honest, the only person who I think's happy in this movie is Gus. Gus Petch. <laughs> he likes nailing asses. Yeah, but that's and it. And it's something like, you have to work towards. He's not, he's not a guy who cares about money. Hmm. He's not a guy who cares about falling in love or getting laid or any of that. He has one simple task in life that can never, ever be bored to him... Which is nailing asses. It, it requires effort. It's never like flick of the wrist. He he in this he's good at it at this point in the film, and he's been attacked by dogs still. Yeah, but I think his his um 
his energy in life affects these characters as they go on because then they kind of become that. Like they find that vigor in that one thing that they want to set on and that they're, they're, they're Mount Everest. And they they have to find that throughout the movie, and you know the whole ploy, the whole thing is, will can they fall in love? That's what they find. But I found it interesting because he's the only happy character, I think, truly. Not the bailiff. No, <laughs> the judge seems pretty happy though. <laughs> I love this judge too because you get this perception that, at least for me, I've seen a lot of movies and shows and whatever court things blah blah where you see a very stern female judge and you think oh man she's going to be a killjoy she's going to bust balls but she's actually like really cool in this like she's like i'll allow it when he's being choked do you like her as much as Whoopi goldberg in monkey bone almost as much mm. um but the fact is she's not deaf in this either and she so. isn't wearing chinese clothes that's true and she doesn't have a weird hat <laughs> <laughs> but um yeah, this has so many great things going on, but it's like that and um, Rex Rexroth is probably the only other happy character because he likes trains. He has he really one simple trains. thing. He likes trains. As soon as he wins this court case, he's all just really happy. Choo-choo! Yeah. Choo-choo! <laughs> I did like how that it was established earlier and it came back. <laughs> it came to bite him in the ass. Um, he didn't get hit by a train. No, but, but it did kind of kill him, his obsession. There was a recording of a train coming at him. So, fun fact, in the DVD special bonus features, mm-hmm. there's Rex Rexroth's home video, which has no oh. audio, <laughs> and it is three minutes of the trains that they show projected mm. on the screen while he's jumping up and down on the bed with women. You get that on the DVD for three and a half minutes and no audio. <laughs> Another one is they have bloopers, or outtakes, I should say, proper, for each uh, prominent actor, so George Clooney, Catherine Zeta-Jones, and, and, and Wrigley. But Wrigley's one is called um, uh, Everybody Likes Berries, and it's just all, like, 100 million takes of him saying oh, the, the line... thing? Everyone likes berries. <laughs> like he says again and again and again for a minute and a half. And might I say it's the long, longest minute and a half I've ever lived in my life, but it's also the best one. Was it because, one of those, like, troll things? But yeah. Because it comes back to bite you in the ass because then you watch George Clooney's one and it's all of him. But then randomly near the end, not the last one, but the second last one, Everybody likes berries, and then cuts to George Clooney doing an outtake. So he's, just, he's just plopped in there. Then, then I was watching it. It's like, will there be in any of these other ones? But I watched the oh, the man. Rex Rex Ross home video, and they well, have it in the good, middle, but they th- didn't. Well, good thing you didn't watch his last then. Yeah. So, um, yeah, this is. I've never been to court. I don't know if you have. I have not. Not in real life. But I don't think this is an accurate representation of it. <laughs> but um, it's what you want, though, mm. where people can bring their dogs in. <laughs> <laughs> I love how coy, like I love how fucking fake she's been <laughs> doing this, like a fake ass cry, and how then she can deadly seriously say to him the quote that he used about love when they're having their dinner date. Bartek, this film has a lot of different tones. Mm. It has some serious elements. Has some very. This is a very over the top moment where people are calling the Baron Kraus von Espy. Did all these different tones work for you? Yeah, it did. I loved it. In fact, loved it. Yeah, 
loved it as as much as Baron von Espy does being a, a concierge. <laughs> you know what? I'm going to have to concede. All right, concede your... That I loved it more. Okay, great. <laughs> <laughs> you had me going there. I'm like, where's he going to go with this? Yeah, this one's actually not that great. Not... This is this is one of the one of the greats. So let's talk about Miles Massey, George Clooney. This is the first time we've had him on, I think. It definitely is, yeah. Yeah, definitely. I yeah. feel like we would have talked about him already. Yeah, I'm just was. like my brain is just like making sure. I'm just like we haven't had him in a guest appearance randomly. Yeah, I know. I, I said that. I was basically... like, we haven't covered the Spy Kids movies where he plays the president of the United States. I was, I was recklessly doubling my bet, as in blackjack. Yes. Ah, good stuff. Black Jack. Um, George Clooney is a star. What do you think of him? And how, what's, you know, have you watched many of his things? Are I've you seen him in him? a handful of things. Like, I've seen him in this and Hail Caesar, two Coen Brothers films. I've seen him in. I saw The Descendants in cinema. Uh-huh. I have a funny story about that. Yeah. Um, have you seen the film? I have not. There's a part, um, it's sort of a spoiler, I'll, basically, there's a part in the film where he confronts the man that his wife cheated on him with, Yeah. and I saw this film with a friend of mine, a Polish friend, in fact, Okay. and in that scene, the two of them, obviously they're wearing clothes, as humans yeah. do, but the shirts that they were wearing were exactly the same shirts that my friend and I were wearing. What? And I pointed it out to my friend, and I was like, oh shit, dude, I'm wearing the clothes of the cheetah, I'm so sorry. <laughs> And then you both started arguing in the same manner that they did. <laughs> um, so you've seen him in a handful of things. Yeah, um, I, I hear more, more so than seeing him in films, I hear a lot of generic quotes about like, oh, he's the most handsome actor around and stuff. And I've seen him in ads in Australia, even for like a watch brand at Chester yeah, and stuff. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And expre- espresso coffee and all that, yeah. yeah. It, it kind of gives me this impression of like, oh, you know, he's generic, handsome Hollywood man. I bet he's probably arrogant or something. But every time I see him act, I'm like, no, he's, he's actually kind of funny. He's, he's self-aware. Yeah, he's self-aware. This is a self-aware performance. This is him being goofy. Like, he's like, I'm this handsome guy who can come across since I'm so handsome and I play a lot of confident characters. Mm. I come oh, I've across also seen the as, South Park movie. Yes. <laughs> I come across as an arrogant guy. That's natural because, you know, handsome guy with confidence. Yeah. Who's usually ri- and rich and all that. Oh, I've so, also seen Up in the Air. Up in the Air, yeah, yeah, that's a good one. Um, yeah, this is one of those ones where he's self-aware. He's very, very self He's making a lot of fun about his image of being this handsome leading man guy. The teeth. <laughs> the teeth, the hair, the suits, everything. Um, so you've seen him. You've seen him in quite a time. I'm surprised you didn't mention Batman and Robin. Uh, I haven't seen Batman and Robin. <laughs> <laughs> I've seen like reviews of it that show oh, a bunch of clips. Fuck like. you got you got to watch it for yourself though. It's one of those I ones. I know. Yeah. So. You've actually seen a very versatile range of him because all those movies, they're very different yeah. George Clooney's. Yeah, I kept just remembering, like, oh, yeah, I've also seen this. This I've is the that. wackiest you've probably seen him then. His South Park role was too minor to call, I guess. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> it was the movie, yeah. Um, so, do you like him yourself? I think I do, yeah. What is it about him that you think is something that resonates with so many people outside of his handsome looks? I think the fact that he's a, a versatile actor is more so valuable than his looks or anything like that. Mm. 
Yeah, I agree. I think for me, it's always the um, the the charm mm. and the level of self awareness that he has to a lot of roles because I've seen him in a lot of Coen Brothers. He's done four Coen Brothers movies, and he's always a uh, a goofball in them. They call them his idiot series, in which he <laughs> plays a different type of idiot. In uh, Oh Brother Art Thou, he, he's obsessed with his hair. He always needs to get hair gel for his hair. Mm. And he goes to a shop and they only sell, like, they don't sell um, his style hair gel, which is like, uh, I can't remember some great name, um, a Dapper Dan, Dapper Dan hair uh, gel. They only sell fop. And he's just like, do I look like a fop man to you? I'm a dumper damn man. And he's like, he gets them in trouble because the police can figure out where they are because they keep finding dumper dead hair gel tins in different locations. So they kind of figure out where they've been here. He always plays idiots. And I've, I've mainly seen him play that type of thing. But I like him as a dramatic actor too. I think one of the things that broke his career in film terms is From Dusk Till Dawn, the Quentin Tarantino Robert Rodriguez movie in which he plays a bad, uh, pretty much, he's a leading guy, but an anti-hero, a bad guy, a guy who's not afraid to kill people, you know, and I think, you know... So, so when you say broke, is that in the good terms or bad yeah, terms? Yeah, no, broke his career, like, he was a TV actor, he was on ER. Right. He right. was on Roseanne. Right. The TV show Roseanne, and that's, you know, he was stuck in TV, and uh, he, this is a curse sometimes. We've seen so many talented actors also get cursed with their good looks. Hmm. Because he was kind of cursed for a little while of getting very good roles because he was so handsome. And he was so Mr. Charming, romantic doctor guy from ER and the handsome, from South Park, the handsome guy from the handsome boss from Roseanne and all these other things. But eventually that movie really did launch him into the stratosphere a lot more. I mean, I, I, it was around the same time he did other things like Batman and Robin, which was supposed to but they did not obviously <laughs> i mean it got him a ton of money uh but you know i i like him this is my favorite performance in his entire career that i've seen it's always a toss-up between him in this or brother art that but i prefer him in this i think his character's a little bit more fleshed out for my liking jeffrey rush nailing it again looking like he does in Pirates of the caribbean <laughs> four <laughs> yeah yeah you're right <laughs> <laughs> but with Colin here, I love his little office, just of garbage. This was filmed in Campbell, right? Yeah, of course. Yeah. This is his house. <laughs> For those that don't know, Campbell's a suburb in Melbourne that I think Jeffrey Rush lives in. Oh, he definitely lives there. And he, take, he takes public transport from A to B, apparently. Um, yeah, I love that scene. Oh, what is it? I'm in a meeting. <laughs> don't you love, he only got, the only thing he's left with is I the award that, yeah. that he got stabbed with. I love that. That's so good. Here he is talking about just, like, all these terrible things. Now, Herb's coming up, Bartek. Yes, he is. Yeah, what did you think? <laughs> what did you think? Because even when I, I wrote my notes last night, I just wrote Herb in brackets and outside those brackets, question marks just around it. Yeah, because was, it's so weird. The whole time he's on screen, I was basically just questioning, like, what? Is, who is this guy? He's clearly <laughs> high-ranking. Bartek, living without intestines. <laughs> well, they, they seem happy about it. But don't you love his facial reaction to, like, a photo, a spread-out photo he sees? <laughs> <laughs> it's like, is he turned on or something? I don't He's know. scared. Uh, but, yeah, Herb, what is he? 
He's the head of the firm. Yeah, clearly. He's one of the partners, yeah. But what... what? <laughs> yeah, the lighting in the room, the, the fact that he... And the music, Sounds too. menacing. There was music. It's It feels biblical. He feels like some biblical character, like an Old Testament character, like, that's, like... I don't know. He's just so... Look at the tube. It's just sticking out. It doesn't connect to yeah, anything. I, I don't know about Old Testament, but definitely like from New Testament times where Jesus is going to be crucified and he's talking to all the officials. Yeah, I just feel Old Testament because he's very Jewish. Yeah, he's King Herod's brother. <laughs> yeah, I love how little his eyes feel because of his big glasses and the wrinkles and the lighting. Oh, Jesus Christ. <laughs> I love how he has nightmares about this. <laughs> like, wouldn't you... I'm like, is he is he chastising him? Yeah, I can't really understand what he's saying. No, he's just. But then he says this line he, and shakes his hand. I'm like, oh, okay. He's just what he was doing was reading out all the things that he's done. Like mm. you've done this many. Yeah, but his, his tone was just this. so menacing that I'm and, like, and the music too, and everything. Yeah, wouldn't you be fragile? It's like if I had a whole speech like thanking you for something, I'm like Ryan, you fucking helped me when I needed it. You know what I love about George Clooney too. He his head his like his head like his face and his jawline he's very rugged and masculine. He always reminds me of like a, a like a like an action man doll or some kind of GI Joe doll head like that's just been stuck onto like a body. Like yeah, he yeah. just looks like a. That's when he was in when they did the Team America movie and they had him and his puppet. It's just like man, it just looks like George Clooney because George Clooney has like a the head of a rugged toy. If if they ever made a live action Toy Story, would he play one of Sid's toys? He would play one of Sid's toys or or um Ken Kendall. Or Kendall, yeah. Which, but we already got Michael Keaton. <laughs> like no, I know he doesn't look like Kendall, but just leave him. He was great. <laughs> Wait, in the he, Toy Story films, that was Michael Keaton as Ken? Yeah, in Toy Story 3. He was Ken. Was he also in two? No, because Ken wasn't in the other ones. He was only in three. You only saw Barbie. Oh, I'm sorry. You're right. Yes. And he has one of the best reaction images that you see, which is him clapping but sternly. <laughs> Man, I didn't know that a was lot Michael of Keaton. people forget Toy Story 3's... Rel- like, a lot of people love Toy Story 3, but they never mention how great Ken was. And what an interesting antagonistic figure and redeeming character he was. I fucking love that character. Everyone talks about, like, other things, like the sadness. And I'm like, nah, Ken, man. And let's talk about him and Michael Keaton being Ken. I did not know. Yeah, that's a surprise to me. I uh, didn't know that. Yeah, it was, well, it was during this part of his career where he was doing r- really big movies, but he was smaller roles because he was getting his career back. I mean, he was in The Other Guys as the chief of police, and he has some of the greatest jokes in that. People forget he's in that and other mm. things. But Billy Bob Thornton, he's he's here. We have him. Is this the first time? On the show, I think so. I think so. Again, I'm doubling my it's, bed in blackjack. It's it's Billy Bob. He's done a bunch of Coen Brothers movies as well. Um, mm. He's always great. Um, the main thing that I just remember him from is the fact that my DVD copy of everyone's favourite film, I Spit on Your Grave, he does the audio commentary. Yeah, he and does that randomly. It's basically like 90 minutes of him pointing out how feminist the film is. It is, though. <laughs> yeah, it is, it is, but... Um, Billy Bob's fucking interesting guy. Weird guy. Uh, he did a famous film called... Uh, um, forgetting his... Sling Blade. Um, in which he plays, like, this fucking... Uh, it's just hard to describe, but he's, like, this mentally unhinged guy. Mm-hmm. 
you know, he's... He's cray-cray. Crazy hillbilly guy, but, like, you feel for him. And, you know, yeah, just, he has this iconic voice I can't replicate, but he's so oh, insane. Like a droll? Oh, yeah, 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 yeah. Real slow. I had myself a sling blade. And all that kind of stuff. But uh, he went method acting to the point of he was like, I needed him to walk like he felt like he was in pain. So he he wore shoes with no socks. And in the shoes was shards of broken glass. Hmm. Yeah. Billy Bob's fucking crazy. But you know, it Where pays was off. Did you mention this when we did Witches of Eastwick? And I think Lachlan was asking how far method acting can go. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I should have mentioned it. Uh, but um, Billy Bob here, did you expect his reveal? Because the twist is he's an actor from the soap opera that jo- Jeffrey Rush produced. Did you expect a twist with him? I didn't, but and I I didn't look up the synopsis for this film until After. basically before I went to bed last night. Mm. Um, I basically was talking to my best friend and I was telling him like, oh, you know, we're doing intolerable cruelty anyway. See ya. Um, and he left me a message saying, like, I just read the synopsis. That sounds crazy. And I was like, I don't know which synopsis he read, but let's just see what happens when I Google intolerable cruelty. And on the side, they have a synopsis. And at the very end of the synopsis, which that's meant to be like, a, this is what the film's about. Yeah. It mentions that she hires him. And I'm like, that's a spoiler. Yeah. yeah I wouldn't, wa- that, I wouldn't a, want that, to know yeah, that. Yeah, that's a twist. Yeah. That's a twist. You know, love, once you do know this... You know, obviously you haven't had the chance to watch it a second time outside of this and you don't have sound. But I really think for people should note how Billy Bob's playing the role of Howard. He's playing the role of an actor who's really keen on acting because he just does not shut the fuck up. And he's like, he's always just like modem out. Like he's an actor who's really keen on being this character. But you kind of buy it because you imagine that he's like a passionate Southern man. Yeah, exactly. But once you know he's an actor and you do see him on the soap opera, you're like, oh, of course he's a hammy actor who's just really excited (laughs) about doing this. I love that. Like, I like that. I didn't think of that's actually pretty It's a good, great yeah. technique because, you know, Billy Bob's having to play an actor who's pretending to be this, but he's, you can see that it, like, it's just so many nuanced layers and I just, I just love this. But also, fun fact, uh, at least I noted down, we just missed it, but when George Clooney rushes into the hallway, we see before George Clooney gets into the frame of the shot, it's on uh, Billy Bob and Catherine Zeta-Jones, and they're standing still in place like they're about to kiss, mm. waiting for George to come. Yeah, I was looking at that just now, and I was thinking to myself, like, oh, they're, they're, he, he, they're not in view of him, but they're kind of ready. Yeah, which just gives you a hint. It's a, it's a little hint. It's a little nugget for for someone who watches this again. Mm. You may miss it the first time because you're not expecting the twist. You think maybe she is as rich as she pretends to be, that she did fool this oil millionaire, billionaire guy again, out of his passionate, money. Again, passionate, happy man who's probably optimistic. Yeah, exactly. You know, I love the visual thing here. It's one of these things where I, I watched this as a, as a kid, and lots of things burn into my brain, as things do in movies. I've They're, noticed, yes. <laughs> I always have wanted to go to a tennis court mm. with one of these machines and just do what he's doing now. You just have the racket in one place as it just, like, continues. Yeah. <laughs> I've always wanted to do that. I've always wanted to. I haven't had the chance, but I, I just want to do that. I do love when he walks away from it, it hits he him. He gets hit, yeah. He's like, Ugh. <laughs> He felt like George Clooney reacting, not the character, <laughs> but it works because he is the character because he's George. Yeah. 
Uh, <laughs> fuck yeah. One of the things about this movie that I have always thanked for is it introduced me to Jeffrey Rush as an actor. Oh, cool. And I don't mean that is it's the first film I ever saw him in. It's the first one I went, who's this guy? What's his deal? I like him. Mm. And he's one of my favorite actors. A lot of people got introduced to Jeffrey Rush from our generation for Pirates of the Caribbean, I would say. That was probably one of his most prominent roles in our childhood. Would Finding Nemo count? Because he's a voice actor there. Yeah, he's a voice. You could say that. But, like, you know, knowing, hey, that's Jeffrey Rush. Yeah, I can see that. I would say Pirates of the Caribbean. And also, he's more prominent in Pirates of the Caribbean. He's the lead antagonist. Um, I obviously, looking back in my life, I my first movie I probably knew him from was Mystery Men, the Ben Stiller comedy movie that we probably will cover on the show one day, because apparently a lot of people don't like that movie. I love that movie. Is that the one It's like a team of superheroes or something? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I have that. It's on my DVD with uh, Thunderbirds. We can, yeah, I have the, Jeff, so we can use Jeffrey that. Rush plays the antagonist of that. Um, uh, he's a... Uh, that so, has a bunch of known actors, right? Yeah, That's like Will, Greg Kinnear. William H. Macy and stuff. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, Hank Azaria. Uh, he plays the Blue Raja. Okay. <laughs> I'm, I feel honored to own it. But, um, you know, that's where the first movie I, I, I probably had seen him in. But this movie here introduced me proper. I was like, who is this guy? He's only in three scenes, but I just, he really burned in my brain. And that's Well, not... again, primacy effect. He's the first thing you see. Exactly. But it's just... Little things like that. This is one of these movies where I really praise it for there's some visual imagery, there's some there's some quips and gags, there's some things, setups that really just burn into your brain after you after you see it. Like for re- for reasons I always remember the shot of Billy Bob Thornton being zoomed in on the TV and it just like being like when he realizes that Billy Bob's a, a fake guy, he's an actor, and he's just like, I have no prenup, and then it cuts to Billy Bob on the TV and be like, you have no prenup. <laughs> and I'm like, I remember that for some reason. All these things, and that's apparently, like, yeah, it's lots of lots of random things here. Bartek, are you a big fan of weddings? I like weddings. Do you cry at weddings? Nah. 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 So you're a George Clooney man, then you're just scowling. Oh, I, I smile, but I don't cry. You don't, you don't cry. Bartek, when was the last time you cried? Last time I cried? Um... Yeah, no, man. No, I know the answer, but I don't want to talk about it on the show. That's fine. You can admit that... I you... was ashamed of something I did earlier this year. Oh, that's, that's man, all. you cried with laughter. You could have said that. No, no, no. <laughs> You're like, no, shame is the cry I remember the most. I, I had to carry some regrets. Also, uh-huh. I was very tired at the time. Oh, good. Um, man, I was crying with laughter last night at this movie. Oh, well, hold on. If we're talking about crying with laughter, I do that all the time. You do that all the time. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, I, I, you know, we've got to, I think it's time to address the big elephant in the room. Everyone likes berries? Everyone loves berries. Um, oh, we're having a crisis in Australia with strawberries at the moment. We are. We are. <laughs> I didn't think of that. Um, okay, we got to talk about the big elephant in the room. Why are we doing this on the show? Oh, yeah. We, we've talked... There are some episodes where we fail to talk about what the film's about. Yeah. But this one, we failed to address that already. But let's let's go to that. Why are we doing this on the show? I, last episode, I mentioned it, and I was very hesitant. I'm like, I don't think we should do it on the show, because, you know, I think it's really good. And you're like, then it's more reason to do it on the show, because... You know, it doesn't seem to have that reception of that. And I'm just like, I've been flip-flopping on this since we started the show. Mm. 
you know, and I realize, you know, once I really thought about it, I'm like, no, we should, because there's been other movies like that that we've done on the show. At recent, you know, we've kind of um, stepped away from the well of movies that we know personally or really have an attachment to and delved into other movies that we don't know as well, but we know have this reputation. Like, originally we started with movies that I loved, like Big Fat Lion, and Thunderpants, and so on and so on. We sprinkle them throughout, but, like, mm-hmm. I think it's good to step away from those, not do those all the time. But this is one of those ones where, from day one, I- I've been like, I don't want to put that on the list. Because a part of me is like, if I put this on the list, that just solidifies in my reality that this is an unappreciated masterpiece. And in my brain, I, I, I can't understand why. But then when I start thinking about it, I do understand why, for me at least, and I think the reason's unfair. But Bartek, before I delve into that, yeah, what about you? Why do you think that this is an unappreciated masterpiece? This is like a 6.2 on IMDb. Yeah, yeah, 6.2, 6.3, somewhere there. Yeah, I noticed that last night just before I went to bed. Um, it might be, and I think, I think in the Roger Ebert review, he touched upon this a little bit. He gave it a 2.5 out of 4. Yeah. So basically, a little over 50%, passing mark. Yeah. But he generally had pretty good words about it. Like, he could have given it a 3, 3.5 maybe out of, um. Yeah. I think at some points he was touching on the fact that, I can't remember specifically, he was saying something like, they were setting up some really good things in this film, but like not really paying them off. Really? I think. I he, think they. I think everything pays off in this movie. I think he. I think he was saying something like there was an emotional investment that we had in these characters, and the payoff necessarily wasn't necessarily what we were hoping for. Like I mentioned, okay. I mentioned earlier that when the film ended, it you you still got an impression that like oh, but something could still happen after this. Yeah. Like, honestly, uh, uh, the fact that the, some bad stuff happened after the big Hollywood clappy scene yeah. threw me off guard, and I was thinking, like, oh, these these people, and then now they're trying to assassinate each other. Yeah. And then five minutes later, the film ends. Like, Well, yeah, yeah. I guess maybe people were expecting more. Maybe, maybe it was just that very simple, unfortunate fact that people don't like slimy characters even though th- this is meant to be an appealing part of the film's comedy yeah maybe maybe there's that i think i i don't think i included it in the imdb reviews i'm going to read at the end of the episode but i think one of the imdb reviews that i read was literally titled like sorry cohen brothers you can't make me like slimy lawyers or something yep okay Maybe it's just prejudices. Like, even earlier, I was saying that, like, oh, you know, I hear so much about how great George Clooney is that I underestimate the fact that he's actually really good and I like him. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. I, you see, yeah, just to uh, echo the George Clooney thing, I've actually been getting a lot of things of people don't like George Clooney because he's George Clooney, you know? Like, mm. everyone's, like, you know, they're tired. Like, how now everyone's tired of Brad Pitt. Like, these, these stars of yesteryear i guess you know they're kind of tired of them for being what they are and who they are but i'm just like but they're good still i don't is i but the reason for me i understand those things sometimes you just need a reminder for me i understand those things but i i honestly could give you hour-long lecture about how all those things are wrong Mm. 
But I think the main thing, and this goes to the prejudice thing, yeah. and it goes to one of those things that you mentioned, is it's made by the Cohen brothers. Mm. I think that's why it's an unappreciated masterpiece, which sounds weird to say, but I think this was a this was a poison-tipped sword because this movie was made by acclaimed filmmakers. Possibly, you could argue, the best filmmakers working today and then. Mm. These are people who make films that are Oscar contenders and winners. These are people who not only make those kind of films, but make films that transcend that to the general masses as well, whilst also being really art, artful and intellectual. These are the guys that all of their films are usually a 10 out of 10 or knockout. I think that's the reason why this is an unappreciated masterpiece, because I think people hear the name Coen Brothers and they're expecting Fargo. They're expecting this. They're expecting that. They're expecting No Country for Old Men. They're expecting art. They're expecting the things that they like that they made and it's not exactly the same. And it's weird because Coen Brothers is very versatile in their, in their way of doing things, but you know it's a Coen Brothers movie when you watch it. You can tell it's a Coen Brothers movie when you watch this, but I think the reason that this film fails is because people see it as a Coen Brothers movie, but they also mark it as a lesser movie because it's not that type of Coen Brothers movie. Would it be similar to people who like Quentin Tarantino and then watch Jackie Brown and say it's different? Yeah, but Jackie Brown is not the one that people dislike the most. They don't like Death Proof out of his ones, which is what I like a lot. But um, I think, yeah, I think it's the, the, the ever... The, the hard thing of... If you are a person like George Clooney in this movie, you're the top of your field. You've conquered every mountain. Can you have any fun and still be well-received? Because this is a movie that's just a fun movie. Mm. The Big Lebowski, one you've seen, that flopped when it first came out. That wasn't... I think it got an Oscar nomination for like the dance sequences, but like that that became a cult classic. Yeah, a huge one. Huge one. I think Roger Ebert hated it. Uh, A lot of people didn't like it when it came out because it's the Coen brothers and they should know better. But now people look back and they're like, what fucking idiots we were. That's one of the best films, arguably one of the best comedy movies ever made. Mm. Um, You know, one of their best movies, one of the most favorite movies. Um, And I think that's the problem. I think how can a film, how can big filmmakers like these people that make art and not entertainment necessarily because you could say oh what about steven spielberg steven spielberg makes entertainment you expect the coen brothers and people like kubrick and lynch and on and on it goes they make art but they're making entertainment as well Hmm. but people see it differently they think people have this thing with the coen brothers where they stroke their chin and go i'm a fan of the coen brothers i know intellectual movies (laughs) but they make fucking funny weird like and i think that's the curse of this movie people look at it and go this from the coen brothers and give it a thumbs down i think that's just unfair and that's also the double-edged sword of oh well then problem solved just get the people who don't know them but if they don't know who the coen brothers are how do you sell the film i guess exactly you sell it on the stars but you know i think it's unfair because also, I think one of the strengths is is that it's a Coen Brothers movie. I think it's refreshing to see the Coen Brothers 
not be stuck in the same same area of film. To see them do something that's a more commercial movie, uh, whilst bringing their independent flair to it. Because, like, would a normal romantic comedy like Failure to Launch have Herb in it? <laughs> Shot like this, done like this, with the tube sticking out of his chest that leads to nothing. If they did, like, they might show his ass. They might show his ass, and he's played by Terry Bradshaw, you're right. <laughs> but, like, I praise the unique approach to what is a very um, vanilla genre. Mm. But people evidently don't. This has a 6.2 or 6.3. Shocking. It feels like, yeah, this kind of feels like an, a more advanced version of the wacky kind of films like Thunderpants and uh, Bubble Boy. Just with yeah. a lot more of a grounded in reality kind of look to it. Yeah, you have a plethora of characters that you only meet for a couple of scenes, but you and, remember them very fondly. Yeah, and there's like one or two quirks that you can associate to them. Like, oh, he's trying not to laugh Zach Galifianakis and stuff like that. Yeah, and that's, you or know... super creepy Herb. Yeah, or like, he wants an owl ass, and you know, like, or the bailiff who speaks monotonously. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Like you get all these things, and I think, I don't know. I think this is one of the one of, the, I yeah. Even when people talk about like, oh, top ten best and worst Coen Brothers movies, this doesn't even get a mention by anyone. Like this is a forgotten movie, and I think that's just. You know, I guess it's the nature of the beast when you make so many great movies. There's always going to be one that slips under you know, slips under the others and gets forgotten, but I don't think that this deserves that. I think George Clooney is at the top of his game here. I think this is one of the greatest he performances he gives. He's 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 charming, he's slimy, he's comedic. Uh, he's got all of it happening. This is a movie, if you go, why is George Clooney a leading man? Show them this movie. That's the best way you do it. Show them this movie, he gives you everything. He gives you funny faces. He gives you serious emotions. He gives you everything. You genuinely believe he's in love, as you as as you kind of do with Catherine Zeta Jones. Like I guess her, it's later, but because she's manipulating throughout the whole thing. I guess one thing you can say for him that goes with your argument is that he's not necessarily deceptive in his slimy practices. No, he's very like, open about what he like, is. Yeah, he tw- he twists words in court and stuff like that, but it's not like he's telling lies or anything. Uh, no, like but he is. No, I, I I mean, if if I had to be true, I do have to counter you. He does hire a guy to break into the house to oh, get Oh, you're evidence. right. Yes, he did say I am I am not Mr. Smith. And then he, but, he uh, but no, no, um, <laughs> that's for the assassin. But when he hires Gus to break into her house when she's married to Rex to find Baron von Espy, and then he does his finagling out of. Well, I can't be uh, disbarred for it yeah, because I just told him this, but you could if you process the film and go and do that. Like, he, yeah, he's he's a very interesting, nuanced. He's a very nuanced cartoon. You know what I mean by that? Like, he's a yeah. cartoon character, but he's got so many layers and nuances to it. I just find I did, it interesting. T- t- I did sometimes think of um, the Tom Kenny character from Legend of Frosty the Snowman. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Like, you know, the shiny teeth, the good looks, and but it's being like sign of, kind of a parody. Overconfidence. And... Yeah. Now, Bartek, we've got, a, we've got the Scottish wedding happening. Mm-hmm. His one scene wonder. Um, what did you think of this? <laughs> Just how over the top it gets with the bagpipes coming in. <laughs> It was pretty funny. Um, now, we've talked about that big elephant. 
let's talk about the other. Do you have a favorite character in this movie? You had a, you had a, you know, you had one that leapt out at you, Herb. But do you have a favorite? Man, whenever we do a film like this with all the millions of characters, it's always a tough one to just nail it down to a favorite. Yeah. Um. Yeah, it's hard, man. Jesus, you go first. <laughs> well, it's a hard one for me, having seen it a million times. Um, it's always easy to say Gus because he has one of my favorite jokes, and yeah. he's such an interesting character that you kind of want to see him in more movies. In a crime underworld comedy movie, you want to see him appear in more. You get that little touch, like you get that, that just that one scene of him at home. Yeah. A lesser movie wouldn't have included that scene. And you don't need it, but yet you do. It adds a nuance to him. You see, like, some of his friends are just over it. Like, one of them's like, can we just get back to the game? And you hear, hear, like, a wife in the background or something? Yeah, and that means, like, she's cool with this because she knows what they're doing. It's it's like, all these things... She must be good at nailing asses. I like him a lot. I do. He's probably one of my favourites, if not... It's always a flip-flop between him and um, Miles Massey. Uh, just George Clooney fucking knocks it out of the park. A lot of the time on this show, I don't choose the lead character because it's always... Mm. I was like side characters usually in stories. And that's and, usually how it is. And yeah. acting and all of that. But George, I mean, Miles Massey, just great. I mean, you can't break the Massey prenup. <laughs> yeah, I think... Because there are so many characters with only like one scene, but Gus really does have multiple scenes to build up his character. So it, it is really easy to say him. Yeah. Yeah, I might, I might have to go with Gus, honestly. His line of, you didn't tell me those Rockweilers had a hunger for anus Africanus. <laughs> <laughs> it's also one of those examples of, uh, I know he's a comedy character, but, um, you know, Cedric the Entertainer has gotten a bad rap over, the, over his career for being a bit too um, comedically broad-minded, I guess. You know, we had him on... Too much entertainment-minded? The Man of the House is an example in which I could go, oh, okay, I get what you're saying there, where he played a very over-the-top loud... He was like an ex-con, like... Yeah, criminal ex-con priest. Like reforming Reforming minister, gospel minister. You know, I could see you go, oh, okay, and yeah, maybe here. But in this movie, he kind of reminds me of Tyler Perry and Gone Girl. Mm. I don't know if you've seen Gone Girl. but Yeah, I saw it in Tyler actually. Perry is the lawyer. Yeah, I know. He reminds me of him in terms of seeing someone who gets a bad rap as a comedic force, but they're in something else like this. Although this is a comedy movie where Gone Girl isn't. They both, for me, are very similar in terms of, you know... Uh, 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 downtrodden, uh, like, I know they're both very rich and powerful and liked, but, like, in terms of, by just uh, appearance sake, of a lot of people turn their nose up at both Tyler Perry and Cedric the Entertainer, but in both this movie and Gone Girl, they're playing this role that is somewhat of a surprise, like, mm. it's not out of their wheelhouse, but it's kind of like a revelation, like, oh, man, they should be doing this kind of thing more often, you know? Like, But really, it's not anything different to what they do already. It's just in a movie that is higher quality than than they usually do. And I, I felt a lot of similarities between the, those two. You know, I just look at them and go, yeah, yeah. Like, 
Cedric the Entertainer is a good dramatic actor. He's he's appeared in a few dramatic roles as well. I think he's in a new movie this year that has Ethan Hawke in it as well. Mm. He plays a gospel priest in that, but it's a serious role. He reminds me a lot of Percy Jones, in fact. Well, a lot more like cartoonish than Percy Jones, but Percy Jones in that film, um, Guess Who? Guess Who, yeah. You know, it was very much centered in reality but percy jones had all these like you know hammy mannerisms and stuff like that and yeah and the nail the ass thing kind of plays to that as yeah well. although not written by the same guy you got to remember that one of the writers of this did, did write a movie that did have bernie mac in it which was mm-hmm. soul men mm-hmm. and you know i could see bernie mac playing having played uh gus in this easy yeah, yeah. i could see him having done that um but yeah i find it um yeah, I find he was a real exhilarating character. It's hard not to choose him. But, you know, <laughs> I, I want to do Flash. I want to do shine a spotlight on Wrigley. I think Wrigley, I mean, you were telling me before we started, I think, or when we were starting, that Wrigley wasn't even mentioned really in the Wikipedia summary yeah. of the movie. But he plays a valuable part in this that, movie. That summary goes through the entire film, and it doesn't mention him once. Other than in just in cast list. Yeah, that's after the, that's outside of the summary. I just want to mention him because he's great. He's really funny. And he was in Land of the Lost as the astronaut that gets eaten at the start of the movie. A small role, but it is kind of like, hey, we're seeing him again, but in a prominent role. One where he could speak lines of dialogue. And I think he deserves the thing because he's a character I could see being easily missed under the microscope because he is a very... um, you know, he's a very meek character, and maybe the actor plays it to maybe maybe too much to a fault. But I think he does a great job of being his comedic, goofy friend yeah, who he's, cries. He's, he's Rain and Wilson from Ex Girlfriend. But he's nice. Yeah. Like Rain Wilson was an asshole. Well, he's an accomplice to the sliminess, but he is nice. Yeah. Yeah, he's a good guy, and you just kind of question why are you teamed up with this guy? <laughs> uh, just to give him a shout out, the actor's name is Paul Adelstein. Yep. Yeah, he's great in this. Like, I think he does a great job, and I, I, I love his reaction to this speech that George gives. You know, he's like, "I love you, man," and you're like, "He does love." I, you. I do love that. Yeah, the running thing with him is that he cries at emotional scenes. I uh, yeah, I, I love also how annoyed he was that they were at that diner. He was asking for like a green, like, do you oh, have yeah, a green yeah. salad? And she's like, "What, what, what kind of color what, would what it the fuck be? Kind of color would, would it be?" be? Yeah. <laughs> Which is the only use of the word fuck in this movie as yeah, well. Yeah, I noticed that more. But it's used yeah. well. Yeah. As, I mean, it's used very well. Um, yeah, I like, and he's just like, why are we eating here? <laughs> like, he's a privileged little rich boy, but I like him. He kind of is a Millhouse character. <laughs> yeah, yeah. When you play Millhouse, we're all well. <laughs> grown like, up Millhouse. Grown yeah, up. No, 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 kid Millhouse. Kid. <laughs> just give him blue hair, yeah. Yeah, give him blue hair. That's all you need. <laughs> I, can, I can see him holding hands with Lisa. No, no, you're right. He plays He plays Kurt, the dad. Millhouse's oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Dad. yeah. Can I borrow a feeling? <laughs> He's also bolding enough to do it as well. Uh, you know, I could actually see this character sleeping in a race car bed. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, 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 no, you really could. <laughs> So, another appearance from an actor that we've had in a movie, um, Bruce Campbell yeah. doing a cameo. I wrote that in my notes. I was like, is that Bruce Campbell? And then I looked it up. Yes, it is. He has no lines of dialogue, but he's just in it because Bruce Campbell is just one of those actors where you just have to have him in your movie. People think of him as a good luck charm in a movie. Just stick him in there. The movie will do all right. 
there. Oh, he has one line. Sorry. This is, <laughs> I, I do love if you pay attention to the soap opera. What the fuck kind of sci-fi weirdness is this? Like, Billy Bob's talking about, like, how his neurons and his fingers are fused and that makes him extra capable of, like, medicine. And you're like, what the fuck? <laughs> <laughs> the crash zoom on George's face. So good. Yeah. Um, I love how it gets to the point where they keep reading her name, just how fucking long it is to say, like, like, um... Yeah, Marilyn's name, all, of, many, all of her so. last names that she's acquired over the six months, might I add. This film takes place in like six to seven months, maybe a little more, but like, she's acquired like 15 names in that time. Oh, yeah, yeah, there is a part where it says six months later. Yeah, that's how she's pretended to be so rich and all of that. Mm. God, she's a babe. I mean, sorry, I'm just like, God, she's... Uh, I miss Catherine Zeta-Jones, man. She's just, just, just not in, in many things these days. I, you know, I, I don't know if she's kind of stepped back from acting. I know she did the film version of Dad's Army a, like a year or two ago, but like, I haven't seen her in anything in like fucking ages. Yeah, it seems like she was only really out in the 2000s, maybe, was it 90s? 90s to yeah. 2000s, which is... Bummer, man. She's a really talented actress, and you know, I, I, I don't know. Do you think it's just the, the Hollywood beast? You know how they churn through actresses when they're in that golden age spot of like twenties to thirties, and then just spit them out once they reach mid thirties. I really don't know. Yeah, it's... maybe just because she married Michael Douglas, you know, and didn't need to do acting anymore because she's married to Michael Douglas. Mm, that kind of implies that she doesn't like acting, then, right? I don't know. I'm just trying to figure it out. I mean, it doesn't mean that she doesn't like it. it. Just maybe means she had to, you know, she was pregnant during this movie as well. Oh yeah, that's so right. you read that trivia. being a mum and all of that. I mean, same thing happened to uh, Rachel Weiss. She married Daniel Craig. You know, kind of slipped away from acting for a little while, but now she's back in full force. So maybe, maybe it's that kind of thing. I, I would, I would really like to see Catherine Zeta-Jones return in in more movies, be prominent in things, maybe have her appear in the Marvel Universe. I don't know. Maybe she'll be the next big returning acting person that gets an Oscar. Who knows? I would love it. I think she's great. And this is obviously one of my... <laughs> Here he is. There, so he's just sticking out. Like, yeah, well, at least they remove something from it. Yeah, but throughout all the other scenes, just like, what is that thing sticking out of his chest? <laughs> like, It's just full of yellowy green they're goo. F- they're filling him with... Uh, the metaphorical heart. Like, you gotta have heart. You gotta have heart. God, he's scary. <laughs> um, yeah, this movie has a... He uh, reminds me of... Um, Will Brooks, our friend. No, no, no. The, the, <laughs> no, appearance-wise, he reminds me of... Have you seen the sh- Pixar short with the guy that plays chess against yeah, himself? Yeah, 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 yeah. Gary, I think his name is. Yeah. Was. Jerry. Yeah, Jerry. He was also the toy repair in Toy Story 2. Yes, he was. Yeah, yeah it's him. <laughs> I would love it if he was based on him. You're good in Toy Story 2. You're good, Larry David's dad. <laughs> Doesn't he look like Larry David's dad? Right, yeah. yeah. You know Larry David, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, just making sure. Um, the the real-life George Costanza. <laughs> uh, but, um, yeah, uh, this has a plethora of characters, unfortunately. You know, um, there's, so, there's just so many, we can't cover them all. But I do want to give a shout-out back to Rex Rex Roth, just his obsession with trains. When you were asking me my favourite character, he did pop in my head, yeah. 
Even I, though it's such a minor role after he, the court, but yeah. I like trains! <laughs> I just like trains! Wheezy Joe's here, guys. <laughs> Fuck, we'll get into Wheezy, but just Rex, Rexroth, he was a great actor. Unfortunately, he's no longer with us. He passed away like a couple years ago. I think Wheezy Joe's actor also did. Yeah, I'm pretty sure, sure too. Um, Yeah, Rex Rexroth, that guy, He was. he's been in a ton of things. He always plays that character like the rich eccentric guy mm. or snobby guy he was mainly known for one of his most prominent roles is in the tv series gilmore girls he plays the dad and i'm not a fan of gilmore girls but every time i have watched it um he's the best part the parents are the best part mm-hmm. the rich arrogant parents who are snobby and weird there's like a scene in Gilmore Girls where it cuts to them at a dinner table and they're just talking about why, w- like, what happened to, like, anchors? Like, why don't people use anchors anymore? Like, on boats? Like, oh, boats, yeah. Like, why don't people use them as much? Like, when like when did that stop being a thing? And the dad's, like, having a serious discussion about it. And the mom's like, this is honestly the most pointless conversation we've ever had at this dinner table. <laughs> But um yeah he was great in this um Rex Rex as Rex 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 Roth fucking easy name to say um I just like trains he always plays that and I'm sure we'll have him appear again in 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 a movie we do on the show I feel like we've had him on the show before and I've mentioned him he's just such a for me he's just what he was one of those great character actors that just has appeared in so much obviously Richard Jenkins. You know, he's a great character. We had him. But Wheezy Joe, I love, you know, in video games, it feels like, but also in movies, when you have a hitman with a gimmick. Yeah, or a thug. A thug with a gimmick, and he's just that he's got severe, like, asthma. Mm. <laughs> he kind of, appearance-wise, kind of reminded me of, I can't remember the character's name, but there was that character in The Wog Boy. The... Yeah, yeah, I know, the one the The, the, the... one that hates... He's like half something that he hates and half. Not. Yeah, yeah, yeah. He he's in lots of things. That 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 actor. Um, he's in the castle as well, and mm. uh, he's in Lane and Woodley as their postman. Yeah, yeah. I know the exact guy you're talking about, but um, yeah. You know, he Wheezy Joe. I, I I don't know. I just he's he's a, he's basically a two scene wonder, but you just love. Yeah, he's it. introduced like right at the end, and then he's. Ended like a scene or two later, very dramatically. What did you think about this whole subplot about how the firm are willing to hire an assassin to kill Captain Zeta Jones? Because the whole, just for those who you know want to know, the whole scenario is Captain Zeta Jones has fooled George Clooney into falling in love with her to marry her to sign up the 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 Massey prenup, which um, once broken, it benefits the. Uh, richer party it's basically a prenup that makes you immune to having to the richer person giving uh half their wealth to the divorced uh, partner um but and the whole thing with this film is that like people are signing it with that but then they tear it up to be like you know i know that that was a symbol of your love now i trust you and then it gets broken when they get divorced exactly but um the whole thing is she would get all of his money because he's the richer party yeah uh, but then uh, the twist uh, is Rex Rexroth, her former f- 
husband dies, dies, hasn't renewed the will, so she's the richer party, and they've hired an assassin to kill her. But now they've got to stop the assassin because because they'll he'll profit. Yeah, he can profit from it. He can win, and he thinks if he can win, he can get her to fall in love because you know he has the upper hand, like you know that kind of thing. Mm. Um, what did you think of this whole kind of? subplot because you were you've been saying a lot like after the hollywood ending clapping hands everyone's like yay you know you're thinking he's gonna get the the girl he's gonna get the girl he's at the speech of the no man club Uh, (laughs) (laughs) and um he's given the speech but then the movie continues but it continues in these coen brothers fashion of a dark crime thing what did you think of this it was executed really well um i could see people criticizing it though because it is right at the tail end of the film and it's it's honestly as soon as wheezy joe is killed off there's like only a few minutes left to the film and everything just kind of wraps up wraps up happily yeah i i could definitely see people criticizing it but i think the execution was great there was a lot of great comedic moments in it there's you know the classic gag of they're both sneaking around the house and they bump into each other and spray each other. Yeah. And then there's just that ridiculous gag of Wheezy Joe mixing up his puffer with his gun <laughs> and using them seconds apart. Like he shoots <laughs> them with the spray. And, then, and at that point in real life, someone would realize, oh, no, not, but he's not also, only do I have a... Yeah. But he's also got the... In all fairness, though, he does have two things happening. He's been blinded by being sprayed in the eyes with bog spray, mm. but also he's having an asthmatic attack. Yeah. So he's just kind of like, oh, I'm going to do something. But then, yeah, he has the but then, gun in yeah, his mouth. Yeah. So he shoots them with the spray, and then you're like, oh, is he going to shoot himself now? And boom, he does. I also love this shot here of him being caught and looking very sad. Yeah, just... <laughs> uh, I personally thought you were going to point out, I love the fact that they have a photo of George Clooney playing tennis, <laughs> and she's holding that up, and it's just like... Well, it's his house. But I love... It's such a great photo. Like, it's mm. just like... Yeah, of course. We've seen him play tennis already. It all it all lines up. <laughs> like it's the little touches like that. Like it all lines up well like that. But yeah, Joe kills himself accidentally. I love when Freddy has to talk about that after. Like, yeah, delinquent breaks into your house, feels feels you know, he needs to repent and kills himself out of grief <laughs> for his crime. But um I, I imagine you read the trivia. One of the I trivia did. pieces does have an interesting little thing about um, Wheezy Joe's death. Do you want to explain that? Let me just try to remember what it was. Um, it's about the window. The window. There was something. It, it slipped my mind. It slipped though. your mind. Well, when um, since this is a movie about love, um, when Wheezy Joe kills himself accidentally, the bullet goes through the window behind him and leaves a um, heart-shaped hole in the window. Okay. Yeah, I don't remember that at all. Yeah, yeah. It leaves a... So when we see the scene, you'll notice uh, there'll be a hole in the window, a shattered part of it, and it's just... um, It's a heart-shaped because um, now he's out of the way. Now they can fall in love. It's a weird touch. Very, very whimsical. Very whimsical for death. Accidental suicide. Heart. Heart, man. Mm. God, he... <laughs> yeah, I love how fucking George Clooney's face during this scene. Uh, just, 
I love the physical comedy of slapstick of when he dips out of the frame and comes back up. It's kind of like just like a, a Mia cat popping out of its hole. Like <laughs> just just watch George Clooney's face during this whole sequence. Like, did you see it just then? Like it's just so goofy. But look at this. <laughs> <laughs> It's just easy. It's like a whack a mole character. Yeah, exactly. With a fixed face. George Clooney is uh, <laughs> and his facial rec- oh, Okay, but uh, you know, I I love that. Yeah, you know, there it is. The heart shaped. Oh yeah, it is. Yeah. Uh, no reason, but it's just fun. But you know, I love. I, I was laughing my ass off after this. Like this, you know, during this bit of I was, I was laughing. But I'm like, look how beautiful this shot is. I was also laughing about that, and I just kept saying, but this shot's so beautiful, but they're reacting to something so goofy with such sincerity. Like, mm. but that shot, man, that beautiful shot of the blue, and it's just like that you could have as a framed picture. That was such a beautiful shot. I just want to point that out, man. That and then beautiful. we get another scene with Richard Jenkins. Come on. Freddy, he's back. Do they offer him pastries in this? <laughs> I don't think there are any on the table. There are. They're the exact same pastries. <laughs> they are on the table. They are on the table. Um, but yeah, so how did you feel about this whole sequence here? It's very reminiscent to their first meeting, but now it's about them, each other, instead of Rex. The mirroring. What did you think? I was happy that the film ended on a happy note. I, but again, I was kind of not really expecting it to. I thought that maybe it would end with them just going their separate ways or having some sort of resolution. Mm. It, it does kind of feel like it ends a bit abruptly because it, I did think that there would be a bit more going on. But Yeah, I, yeah, I don't know. I, I just don't feel like it's that abrupt because this movie takes a, a, a somewhat, you know, uh, cheesy tone at points with them ripping the thing and being all like each time it's been ripped there's a dramatic kind of lifting of the music panning of the camera and someone's like you're exposed and Mm. i feel like that is a great way to kind of cap off their relationship of um i was discussing this with my partner last night she was a bit foggy on the details it's like so when he signs it and then she rips it in half like why is that important on a level and it's important because it shows that he is truly in love like to her it shows that he is truly in love with her not in love with her money or trying to get his money safe or whatever uh it shows that he's willing to love her through the the prenuptial agreement without trying to screw her over but then it shows the growth of but she's willing to love him without any protection because she's the richer party and it shows that these characters have grown in different ways uh, but in in the ultimate same way of mutual respect and love and trust Richard Jenkins tries to steal it though and try to get it fixed <laughs> I love his reaction it's like breaking that paper broke him <laughs> yeah exactly uh, but um, I don't know I felt like it is good you have them kiss and it's actual real love and Richard Jenkins. Mm. I, I guess, yeah, to be fair, she is the richer party for sure. I think point. it's just kind of fun to yeah. also have the movie end on Gus and Jeffrey yeah. having a happy ending. Jeffrey Rush's character's name was Donald Donaldson. <laughs> was not Donovan? Oh, Donovan, sorry. Donald, yeah. uh, Donald Donovan. Yeah, yeah. And uh, just another DD. Uh, yeah, like, I think it's kind of just, just cheeky little fun and also mm. just being like... I do love the idea of 
you know, lawyers chasing each other saying, no fair. Yeah, that too. But I do like, we get an explanation on everything, you know. She found Howard from him and now she gave him an idea because she knows Gus and knows mm. what he does. And it all kind of melds together into a lovely stew of entertainment and fun. I'm, I I love the fact that Gus has this weird happy ending <laughs> that you didn't, he didn't need to have it. He was happy already. But he gets his own TV show in which he gets to say, Dale, yeah, And his audience cheer. He gets sound effects and everything. (laughs) And then, of course, the producer, who's very happy, is Jeffrey Rush. I love how it's this, like, a real American game show-looking thing. Like, it looks like the price is right. Like, it's so good. Yeah, Um, the funniest home videos twist. Yeah, exactly. (laughs) Fucking... But it also, I just love that at, at the time... The idea of this show existing was a joke, mm. but now with the way that TV is, Reality this show TV, yeah. would exist. It already exists, I-, I imagine. There's Jeffrey ending the movie. Uh, maybe I didn't recognize it without the ponytail. Yeah, yeah, he's changed. Yeah. He ends the movie. He begins the movie. Isn't that neat? That's called book ending. Fun fact too: um, Jeffrey Rush, one of his first feature films I own on DVD. It's called Starstruck, an Australian musical. Mm-hmm. It very prominently advertises him on the cover and on the back. He's in one scene. He has no lines of real dialogue, but he plays basically what he was doing just then of the guy revving up the audience and applauding and making applause for a TV event. And I kind of find it neat that, that he, like, basically that shot that we just ended on him was kind of his introductory shot in cinema. Okay, yeah. Which is kind of neat. I just want to like. That's, that's kinda and you neat. said that he was top billing in that. Yeah, or, he's like high top. Yeah, high build. Like when you get the DVD, it's like Jeffrey Rush. It's well, like, but he's in like one scene. Well, again, third billing in this film. Yeah, scenes. but at least he's in three scenes, and you yeah. actually, and he's an actual character. Like in that movie, he's not a character. He's just a guy going, yeah, yeah, and his crazy curly hair. Uh, but yeah, the movie has unfortunately ended. Man, what a blast this movie was. I know I did most of the talking, but it's just... It was it was the Ryan Gushing episode. It's a gush movie for me. I'm going to get into my review and then let you and hear from IMDb. I'm very curious. Um, I love this movie, of course. Intolerable Cruelty is uh, one of my favorite, um, you know, one of it is one of my favorite movies. It's, you know, I know that it isn't like, you know, one of these... Uh, top tier movies of cinema but I do Mm. think it is an unappreciated masterpiece in the purest of forms I think it is a master of its craft it goes out of its way with with um un like with with details and and solid um filmmaking to uh, heighten the jokes and the characters and the romance and the plots and all these things like 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 we're talking about Gus having that one scene at home with his friends, it elevates the character, but it also serves the story at the end. But you don't need it in the movie, but the fact that it's there is just that extra that extra mark of quality. The Coen brothers, they didn't s- fall asleep at the wheel at this one, that, and they could have. You know, this could have been seen as just, a, you know, doing the job for money instead of for the art. But you can clearly tell that they put a lot of lot of effort in and a lot of thought and focus into it as do all the actors everyone is great in this there's no one who is bad everyone is lovable you like them all hence it was so hard to think of a favorite character because you could say anyone and i wouldn't disagree with you this Mm. is a great movie what's my rating i don't know man 
Usually we do like a jokey kind of rating that we refer to something back in the episode or in the movie itself, yeah. but I just have I to think give... I thought of one earlier, but I forgot. <laughs> I think this is just a great movie out of the best movie. You know, like, you know, this is a, this is, the rating is just, this is great. This is fantastic. Check it out. On the topic of, you know, trying to justify this as an unappreciated masterpiece... I could simply just say that this is a film that I hadn't seen before, that I don't hear many people talking about, and it simply is one that more people should see and talk about. Boom. Unappreciated masterpiece. That's what I think of this film. It's a film that you can look at certain film creators like, say, you know, Tarantino, Wes Anderson, Coen Brothers, who put a lot of subtle touches in the film that just make it all the stronger. Like, you know, with the little scenes of uh, Gus with his friends or just even the picture of George Clooney playing tennis in yeah. his room. Um, just all these little subtle touches or even subtle touches for subtle characters that just makes it so memorable and you talk about, you know, oh, remember this part, remember that part. And even if it's not like one of those big directors, you could also say that about films like Thunderpants or mm. uh, Bubble Boy, yeah, which are some of our favourite films that we do on the show. Exactly. This is, in the simplest terms, just a really, really strong film. Even if it's not super deep or anything, in some of the parts where you might say, oh, it's deep, it almost feels like, you know, kind of a parody of deep films. Mm. It is a film that is just much like Mr. The Entertainer, an entertaining film. <laughs> strong film, strong entertainment, strong comedy, strong performances. Yeah. Do not be fooled by the prejudices out there. Mm. Even the reviews that aren't as great as, you know, full marks have good things to say about it. Roger Ebert, 2.5 out of 4. That's only a little over 50%. He had strong words to say about it. This is a film that is worth watching. No two ways about it, unless you're a dummy. I give this film, I give this film, I, I give it, I give it a wheezy herb. Nice, <laughs> nice. So Bartek It probably has, is wheezy. I don't Bartek know. has amassed. Oh shit, I should have opened it. You should yeah. have gone quicker. It's all right. Good thing it's Bartek on a Bartek has amassed some um, opinions from the internet. Not from YouTube, this episode apparently was a bit harder. Not unexpected, it is an there older were, movie. Yeah, there were enough, but I thought, you know what, let's just, let's not bother. You have this time. got two reviews, I believe, from, from the uh, site IMDb. The internet movie Barter Days. <laughs> and, um, yeah, it's the same site that gave this movie a 6.3. Shame on them. Mm. Shame on them. So, Bartek, let's hear. Yes. The first review that I have gathered is called, oh, this is one that I mentioned, Coen Brothers Can't Make Me Like Divorced Lawyers. <sighs> okay. It is from the 14th of September, 2013, and it is a 5 out of 10. Mm, okay. Miles Massey, yep. George Clooney, is a tough LA divorce attorney, and he destroys Marilyn Rexroth, Catherine Zeta-Jones, in her divorce with Rex Rexroth a wealthy real estate developer and habitual ph philanderer. <laughs> Marilyn schemes to get even. First, she quickly marries oil tycoon Howard Doyle. Then she makes Miles fall for her. 
only it's all part of her scheme. The Cohen brothers try to give LA divorce lawyers the Cohen treatment. The crazy Cohen style is in evidence here. The fast-talking dialogue is dense, but doesn't flow. The mannerisms are exaggerated without the humorous effects. The biggest problem is that divorce lawyers aren't funny. And okay. even the Cohen brothers can't make them so. Not just the, the not just the lawyers, everyone, everybody is disgusting, scheming, sleazy, money-grubbing lowlifes. They're just more beautiful while doing it. I don't care about anybody or anything in this movie. I don't care about Miles, and I don't care if Miles gets taken, and I don't care if Miles is truly in love. Well, I just have one word to refute that. Kirshner. Um, <laughs> did they not see that Kirshner scene? Did you not see how the dense... That's uh, only in Texas! The dense dialogue that flowed quickly. Did you not see how that part really... Wo- what are you fucking crazy? Kirshner, buddy. Mm. All right, let me hear the second one. They better they better impress me. That one That one did not uh, pass Ryan. the Kirshner test. <laughs> Is the next one called Kirshner? <laughs> no, no. Ryan, by, by the end of this one, you know, you might eat your words about what this... Uh, your opinions of this next one. It's also another 5 out of 10 from 2014. Oh, okay, okay. This one is titled, I was really excited for this movie, dot, dot, dot. It is from the 2nd of August, 2013, and it's 5 out of 10. So both of them are 5 out of 10s from 2013. Okay. Both of them, I think, have different outtakes on it. Um, Outlooks, I rather. But let's give this person a chance. Okay. I had high expectations towards this, seeing only the cast. George Clooney... Ocean's Eleven, Twelve, Thirteen, The Descendants, The Ideas of March. Mm. Catherine Zeta-Jones. Did they write The Ideas of March? Yes. It's The Ides of March. Yeah, well, they wrote Ideas. <laughs> <laughs> the Ideas of March. Right, you have to give him a chance. All right, I'm giving him a chance. I'm giving him a chance. Okay. And Catherine Zeta-Jones from Ocean's Twelve, Titanic, and No Reservations. Wait, is Catherine Zeta-Jones a Titanic? Well, they said so. <laughs> I don't remember her in Titanic oh, Come on, I haven't seen it in a while Maybe I've forgotten her great role in Titanic Jeffrey Rush, the Caribbean movies Paul Adelstein That's all he gets <laughs> He was in fucking Shine Hey, there are five of them He's won fair. an Oscar, you fuck Go on, go on, continue, continue He's just like, I've had the power to go movie. movie but Well, you know, this was 2013 So we didn't oh, have yeah. the Oscars at that point <laughs> He did have an Oscar. Yeah, I know. Yeah, 2011. <gasps> um, no, no, he already won for Shine in the 90s. Oh, that's right. Yeah, he had another one. Yeah, yeah, go on. Yeah, I was thinking King's Speech. Uh, Paul Adelstein from Prison Break. Uh, Richard. Oh, and you didn't even comment on him. He's in Prison Break. Yeah, he is. He played an FBI agent in the second and fourth seasons. Oh, okay. I'm surprised you didn't say anything when we brought him up before. It's because I didn't really remember him too much. I know that he had a significant role in it. It's just been a while. So and maybe he looked very different. In this movie, he does probably look a nerdy guy. I did find out the connection through this IMDb review. Okay, can you I just that? didn't think it was that important. But yeah, I know him from Prison Break, I guess. Um, and Richard Jenkins from Jack Reacher, Hall Pass, and Dear John. Yeah, those all. Yeah. I wouldn't have listed those as his <laughs> crowned <laughs> achievements. He didn't even mention Cabin in the Woods. I am especially a fan of George Clooney, I must say, before I begin this review. Yeah, he's in the ideas of March. <laughs> yeah. The way he handles things and the way he acts, so elegant and stylish. He's a very good actor, in my opinion. Yeah, okay. 
The beginning of the movie was weird, and I understood that this was something else than I had expected. I was hoping for the movie to get better. Sometimes I thought the movie was going in the right direction, but then, okay. it's, but then it stopped and continued in the same direction, oh. digging itself only deeper and deeper down into the ground. I must say that the cutting in this movie was awful. Oh, okay. The cuttings oh, from one scene to I'll another. Cut you, buddy. That was one sentence. <laughs> cut your fucking sentence down, fuckhead. <laughs> Go on. For me, it. For, sorry, for me, is seemed they'd. For, Ideas of March. <laughs> for me, is seemed they'd forget the order of the clips. The movie jumped back and forth through time, no, places, it didn't. and people. No, it didn't. Did you watch this movie? It all went in a chronological order and followed the characters in a chronological... What are you talking about? You fuck off. The story writers of, the, of this movie did not do a good job that matches the quality of the actors. Because I had nothing against any of the actors actors or characters in this film but had much higher expectations for the storyline and the in quotes cutting of the movie okay lastly i must say that this looked like a low budget film in brackets don't know if it is it was shot by roger deakins who just won an oh my god even though it (laughs) oh whoa He's, I'll read this again. Lastly, I must say that this looked like a low-budget film. Don't know if it is. Same sentence. Even though it is, I don't know. I don't think they made much out of it. The filming locations were quite boring and, in quotes, normal. Shot by Roger Deakins, you fuck. He doesn't know if it was an independent film, but even though it is. <laughs> it's got George Clooney in it. What do you think? Next sentence. The music did not fit the movie when the music have been used in numerous of movies before this. I mean, it worked well. Thank Try you. to come up with something new, creative, and unique. Almost every film has like a theme song that, be- quote, belongs to the movie. Uh, fuck off. Overall, I give it a 5 out of 10. The only reason I give it a 5 is because of all the brilliant actors. Don't recommend watching this. Sorry. There's one more sentence. Oh, fuck and this off. is this is the game changer, Ryan. Oh, okay. So you know, you, you, you might eat your words. <clears throat> I'm gonna eat them. P.S. <laughs> <laughs> P.S. Fuck you, Ryan. P.S. This is my first review in my own opinion. <laughs> fuck you then. Here's my opinion of you. Did you watch this movie? I honestly don't know if they watched this movie. There were so many things in there that sound like they watched a different movie. But it was their first review in his own Oh, opinion. well, I give him a break then. Yeah. Um, thank you for your opinions. That's why we listened to them. I mean, I may have been reacting, but that's the thing. Like, it made me also bring up... This was um, shot by Roger Deakins, the masterclass of cinematography. I mean, you know, he, I, I could go on about it. We should have done a podcast about him. But uh, that's it, guys. The end of the show. The end of the episode. The movie is over. The reviews are over. We are about to be over. But you can keep on being... Great listening, people, by listening to us and our other episodes on whatever platform you like. We're on iTunes, which you can give us a review on. It would be much appreciated because we are very unappreciated. And um, 
We are on uh, Google Play, we are on uh, Stitcher, iHeartRadio, Spotify, Podbean is the main one that we host from. And as of this uploading of the episode, we are about a week or so away from the YouTube being up to date. Up to date on the YouTube as well. We are on the social media, Twitter and Facebook. We have an email which you can email us with any... uh, um, suggestions, corrections, anything you just want to say to us, we are spitandpolished at gmail.com. We don't get too many emails, so it will be easy to find what you have to say. Exactly. Um, you guys have been fantastic, amazing, wonderful listening people as always. Bartek, it was great to have you here just hearing me passionately tell you and the audience why this movie is great. Was, but I was very good at saying yeah. And bringing your own um, flavour to the table. I was a noob. You got, and you got pooned. No, I didn't. I you got I was no, I was a fresh opinion. Oh, there you go. You. You're a freshie. Just like the reviews, even though I was the better one yep. of them. That's right. Because I gave it more than a five. I gave it a wheezy herb. Exactly. So until next time, guys. Remember to be kind to each other. And I'll just leave us all on you know the most important thing that I did not say because I was saving it for the end. The bailiff was saved by the bell. Fuck off! <laughs> <laughs>